this morning, whether you're a member, or I know we have several visitors here today, we're grateful for your presence, I appreciate the opportunity we have to be together today, and I hope we've all been, we'll leave here having been built up, uplifted, and benefited for the time we spend here together today. Of course, as has already been mentioned more than once, today is Mother's Day. Some of you will definitely remember the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. And because Calvin was a little boy, there are a number of strips that deal with Mother's Day. But there's one in particular that I like that I've shared with you. And if you can read that, you can see it. Some of you might not be able to read it, so I'll give you a second. But you can see it's just, yeah, <laughs> I can tell who can read it. It's just two panels, and Calvin comes to his mom, and he says, Hi, it's me, your big accomplishment in life. And then, of course, the next panel is her there collapsed on the couch. I'm depressed. <laughs> Some of you may feel like Calvin's mother sometimes. Maybe you're a little bit skeptical about the job you've done as a parent. Or maybe you're wondering if instead of always thinking about themselves, if anybody's going to say, thanks, Mom, for everything that you've done. Being a mother's a tough job. And it's never really over, even when your children leave home, it just shifts. You take on a slightly different role. We honor that, and we recognize that today. I want us to read together this morning from Luke chapter 1 as we begin. And it's a lengthy reading, so I don't even have it on the slides today. You can either listen as I read or follow along yourself from the first chapter of Luke. But... This is a text that we frequently read around Christmas time, and then we don't ever look at it again, little if any, the rest of the year. But I think it's appropriate for us to notice today. Uh, beginning in verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered him, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's a difficult time to be a Christian mother, a Christian father, a Christian parent in general. Because a lot of times it seems that so much is pitted against the family. You send your kids out into a world filled with alcohol and drug abuse and, and violence and you're almost afraid that the peer pressure, you're, you're almost afraid, I imagine, 
to let them go out beyond the driveway. You probably want to be able to build a wall there around the house and, and not let them go out into the world sometimes. But of course, we can't really do that today because there are things that can get inside that wall, right into your home, through the television, through the internet, all sorts of things that you wish, even there, that you could shield your children from. And there was a time when you might feel that the schools would reinforce some of those things that you were attempting to teach your children at home. But that's not necessarily the case now. And on top of that, it seems that so many in our society actively attempt to tear down the family. Women who prioritize motherhood or young men who get married early are told that their priorities are out of order. You're not living up to your full potential. What are you doing? You need to think about yourself and your future. Families in general are breaking apart. More and more children are living with single parents. So there are so many things, so many movements, so many factors that seem to diminish the importance of the family and parenting and motherhood in our society. But I think it's really important for us to realize that those things aren't unique to our time. We often have such a limited, really, frankly, such a self-centered view. We think the world revolves around us. We're special in our place in history. Nobody's ever had it like this before. Well, that's not really the case. And that's why I want us to look at the example of Mary this morning. Let's consider the mother of Jesus as a model. From the obstacles that she faced and from the resources that she had, I think we can learn some things that are applicable to us whether we're mothers or whether we're fathers or whether we don't have any children at all, young, old, whoever, because some of this that we're going to look at applies to Christians in general. So let's think first of all about some of these difficulties that she had to deal with. First of all, Mary faced the difficulty of a tarnished reputation. Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. Now, we just read what the angel said to her there. We know the rest of the story. We know that that child was conceived through the power of God. Do you think they believed that in that little town of Nazareth? Liberty's a small town. You ever hear any gossip? I was raised in a small town larger than this, and yet everyone still knows everyone else's business. That's a hot item. Those things spread through there like wildfire. And here is an unmarried girl expecting a child. Don't you know that those local gossips were loving that? I can just hear the tongues wagging. Did you hear about Mary? And we know that for a fact several years later, decades later, 30 years later roughly, in John chapter 8, when Jesus is verbally sparring with some of his enemies, they point at him and they say, we're not illegitimate children. That's an accusation. They were still, even then, trying to twist the knife, at least as they thought it. Mary had to deal with that negative reputation. Maybe there are things in your life that you're not very proud of things that you've done that you wished you hadn't done, things you wish you could undo, you feel guilty. 
Maybe there are skeletons in your closet that make you feel unworthy of, of being a mother or unworthy of being a Christian. Let me remind you of something I've said again and again, and we focused on it at length last week. God not only forgives, he forgets. Our mistakes are regrettable. We ought to try our best not to repeat them, and we ought to try to encourage other people not to follow in our footsteps and make those very same mistakes. But God is a God of mercy and of grace, and we have a new beginning with him, a new life that's empowered by his forgiveness. Secondly, Mary experienced the difficulty of poverty. I don't know if we ever think about or if we even realize just how poor Mary and Joseph were. But if you really consider it, Scripture portrays them as extremely poor. Jesus was born in a barn. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they laid him in a manger, that is, a feed trough. That's about as meager as it gets. And when he was a baby, and they took him to a, the temple then for the first visit to make that offering that was required, they offered two turtle doves. That was the stipulation in the law. That was the ideal offering. That was the accommodation for those who couldn't afford anymore. That was all they could give. We don't have poverty in this country like they experienced. Now, I know we have some poor people in this community and in this nation, but there was no, there was no food bank that so many of you staff coming by every couple of weeks with a load of fresh vegetables and fruits and things like that. They couldn't get anything like that. They were as poor as poor can be. And even though we don't have that sort of poverty, I bet that some of you in this room have experienced some pretty lean times in your life. Maybe it was when you were bringing up children. We were pretty poor when I was growing up. Never had to worry about not having enough to eat, but while Abby and I are buying a house that we're going to be moving into soon, it's a small house, but the house we grew up in was smaller than that one. Two bedrooms, one bathroom. There were four of us, my mom and dad and my brother. Uh, I shared a room with my brother until I turned 21 and I moved away to Austin. That wasn't nearly as bad as sharing the one bathroom for all of us. <laughs> You're a teenage boy trying to get ready, trying to look good and all that. We grew up in, in that situation and it never had a reliable car when I was growing up, other things like that. You can imagine what it was like. And I went to a magnet school when I was in elementary and middle school. And I went there with a lot of kids that, frankly, were very well off. And they used, to, they used to make fun of me because of my clothes that came from Walmart. And I was so ashamed of that. And so when Christmas would roll around, I'd ask my parents to please get me something nice like what they wear. And they They'd scrimp and they'd save up and they'd get me a shirt or two and I'd just absolutely wear those things out at least once a week, maybe more than that, until they had holes in them. And of course, now I'm, now I'm ashamed that I, I put that much pressure on them for something that was so silly. 
Some of you have probably experienced that pressure of trying to buy your kids the things that they want. Maybe you're not able to do it, and maybe you, you tried the best you can to be able to do it, whether it's new tennis shoes. Do you, people of a certain age remember this. Do you remember the pump shoes, uh, the ones that had the basketball in the front? I remember when those came out. Man, I wanted those so bad. Uh, Dominique Wilkins, I think, was the first one to advertise those. But those, the right shoes, designer clothes, the right toys when they're younger, whatever it may be, the lesson we really need to learn in this country, whether we're teaching it to our children or whether we're teaching it to ourselves, because a lot of adults still haven't learned it, is that your life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things you possess. That's what Jesus said. There are other things much more important, eternal things that we can't see that will last forever. Let's make sure that we make our homes places of love. Love doesn't cost anything, it's free. Or at least it doesn't cost money. It just costs time and attention, and emotion. Thirdly, Mary faced the difficulty of attacks on her child, even at his birth. If you flip over to Matthew's birth narrative about Jesus, you all remember he talks about the visit of the wise men. They come to him, and of course there is that figure of Herod, ominous, lurking as a shadow in the background. And it says there in Matthew 2, verse 13, that when they, that is the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt, live in a foreign country as strangers just to protect this boy from evil. And I suggest that the very same thing happens, in a sense, to us. Satan sees a child as a gift from God. You remember what the psalmist says, the 127th Psalm, verse number 3, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. The quickest way to destroy a family is to attack a child who doesn't have the power, doesn't have the, the maturity to be able to deal with those attacks. So to protect your children in those vulnerable years, you might need to flee to Egypt, as it were. That might mean monitoring what they view in the house, in your living room, in their bedroom. Maybe sometimes you even need to have to shut the screens off in our day and age. It might mean checking up on them at school, seeing about what they're learning and who they're dealing with and maybe counteracting some bad influences that they have. You'll need to, to discipline them, to train them, to grow up to be young Christian men and women. And of course, that training never really stops. I'm not a parent, so I'm not speaking from that perspective, but speaking as a grown child, your parents' role doesn't go away, it just morphs. No longer enforcing those things with discipline, perhaps, but now as a, as a wise counselor, hopefully, that you look to for guidance. This is all counter-cultural stuff that we're talking about here. You're living in a way that's radically different from the rest of the world, but the point is, all of us as Christians, whether we're children, whether we're parents or not, we all should be living that way. Finally, Mary had to deal with a child who was rejected and abused. I don't know what that feels like 
but I imagine that's one of the hardest things to deal with as a parent. A lot of you will remember the comedian Jerry Clower. Jerry Clower told this story about his son, who at one point was the field goal kicker on his high school football team. And in one game, he had the opportunity to line up for a kick late in the game, would have put, put them ahead, might have even been sufficient to win the game if they could have held on. And he just missed it. It sailed wide. And about four rows in front of him, there was this guy who stood up and started heckling the kid. He said, who is that kicker? He's terrible. He couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with a football. On and on and on he went with that. And finally, Jerry Clower went down. He sat by that guy, and he looked him in the eye, and he said, you need to thank Jesus that you're alive. The guy was taken aback <laughs> to be approached like that. He said, what do you mean? He said, that's my son you're ridiculing. And the only reason that you're alive right now is because I'm a Christian, and Jesus says, I can't kill you. I imagine a lot of you felt that way at one point or another. And I can't imagine personally what it's like to see your child being abused, but I know that it hurts, and I know that they never get old enough for that not to hurt you. I've seen my dad. I can think of one case and a story I won't get into, but some very unfair things my brother had to go through a few years ago in his career that I know made my dad feel just like Jerry Clower did because you don't ever grow up enough for your parents to stop feeling that way. When they went to the temple in Luke's gospel, Simeon told Mary that a sword will pierce your soul. And I expect that's essentially what happened when she heard those accusations that were hurled at him. He's got a demon. He's a drunkard, gluttonous man, a wine-bibber. He's a blasphemer. He's crazy. Don't you know those things hurt her too? And I can't imagine then what it must have been like for her to stand by as a witness to his torture and his execution on Calvary. Mary faced a lot of difficulties. But she also had a number of resources at her disposal, and I want to note three because these are really relevant for all of us, regardless of our situation. The first one, to return to Luke's gospel, she had a strong commitment to doing God's will. In Luke 1, verse 38, you remember this was read not only by me a minute ago, but also in our scripture reading. The response that she makes to all of this startling message that the angel has for her, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary knew that in giving birth to Jesus, she was doing exactly what God had called her to do. That's a powerful source of strength and encouragement, and that applies to all of us, whether we're mothers, whether we're parents or not. There's something incomprehensibly reassuring about doing the will of God and knowing that you're doing God's will. Everything else may be falling apart. All of these terrible circumstances, your life may be in shambles the way that hers was in so many ways. And yet, if you know that you're doing what God wants you to do, there's reassurance. Secondly, Mary had a powerful resource in a supportive husband. 
Now, we've always speculated that Jesus or that Joseph died somewhere before Jesus reached adulthood because we don't read anything about him during his ministry. But we know that Joseph was around for at least the first 12 years of Jesus' life because he's there when they go to Jerusalem when he's 12. And we might imagine perhaps a few years longer than that. And however long God allowed them to have together, it's obvious from the brief glimpses we get of Joseph that he was a man who was supportive of his wife. I think about in Matthew chapter 1 when he finds out that she's pregnant, the first indication we get is that because he cares for her, even though he could have made this a big public deal to protect his honor, his reputation in a society that valued that just about above everything else, he just wanted to divorce her quietly so that he wouldn't make a, a scene for her. But then we know it too that when the angel came and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to marry Mary. Because that child that's conceived in her is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture tells us immediately, Matthew 1 verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. I've always pictured Joseph as a man who was there for Mary, supportive of her, whatever she needed. If those two little glimpses we have are indicative of what he was like. For all of us, whether we're fathers or not, those of us who are husbands, whether your children are at home or they're not, uh, young men, whether you're married yet or not, just something to think about going forward. The best thing you can give your wife, even today, isn't flowers or chocolate or a Hallmark card. <laughs> it's being supportive of them, being encouraging to them, being by their side, praying for them, always being there for her. Now, I recognize that might not come easy for all of us. Some of us are a little more distant. We're not comfortable with showing those emotions at all times. I think about a story I read at one point about a fellow who was not very attentive to his wife, and he knew that, and he always felt bad about it, and so he resolved he was going to make some changes. He was going to be proactive, do it differently. And so one day on his way home from work, he stopped by the store. He bought a big box of candy. He bought a dozen roses. He showed up at the front door, and he rang the doorbell, and his wife came to answer it, and there he is standing on the front doorstep with roses in one hand, candy in the other, and he starts singing that old song, you know, at the, I love you truly, truly, dear. And the wife just burst out in great big tears. She's just sobbing. She goes to pieces. She's a blubbering mess. He's like, what, what's wrong? What did I do? She said, oh, Harry, today was just awful. There was a leak in the plumbing. The children were terrible. The house is a wreck. And now you come home drunk. <laughs> Sometimes if we haven't been as supportive as we ought to be, we might need to ease into it a little bit instead of going whole hog the way that he did. But if you're not as supportive as you should be, try to do a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Slip into it step by step, one piece at a time. Be a good, supportive husband. Third and finally, Mary had a close, understanding friend who encouraged her. You remember the angel mentioned a woman named Elizabeth. 
We read down in verse number 42 that Mary went to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth exclaimed when she saw Mary with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth, if you remember, was Mary's relative, not only a friend, but a relative, an older relative who also was expecting a child, and that child was also a miracle birth because she was so old she shouldn't have been having children. And that child that she was going to give birth to was John the Baptist, and they spent several months together encouraging one another. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all part of the same family. This is a room full of my relatives. We ought not to forget that. So I want you to look around this room. There may be, not maybe, there undoubtedly is someone here today who needs your encouragement. And so I want to encourage you to be like Elizabeth. That's partly why the Hebrews writer instructs us in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That is, don't stop meeting together. Don't neglect to meet. We need each other. The church ought to be a fellowship that's an extended family that supports one another. The Hebrews writer says in another place, encourage one another daily so long as it's called the day so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We all can fall prey to being hardened to becoming desensitized to sin and then giving in to it because it's so alluring. We need that encouragement. Mothers need it. All of us need it. And we all need to be giving it. Mary was rewarded for her faithfulness as a mother. She was there to see Jesus raised from the dead. She was there waiting in that upper room praying with the rest of the disciples when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. She lived to see the rest of her children become believers in Jesus as Lord and Messiah. And the God who rewarded her for her faithfulness promises that he'll reward us too. Mother's Day is kind of a a mixed bag. I always approach it with a deal of trepidation. It used to be one of those days where we would just give up, get up and you know, you'd have a sermon on how wonderful motherhood is and how we all need to be thankful for our mothers and we all be happy and sweetness and light, but that's not the reality for all of us. I can't let it pass by, and I don't want to let it pass by without commenting upon it in some way. But I recognize that there are all sorts of people who are here present this morning. If you've lost your mother, this might be a day of of grieving as you think about her and miss her and wish that she could be here with you. If you're childless, whether that's your own personal choice or whether the Lord just hasn't seen fit to bless you yet, you might feel like a second-class citizen today. If you had a poor relationship with your mother, you might feel a little bit guilty today. Wish you could go back and undo some things that you did. But maybe it's too late. If you're a mother who has children who were rebellious and didn't listen to your teachings, They've rejected what you tried to instill in them. You may feel like a failure today. 
like you disappointed God. Here's the good news for all of us. We may have imperfect families here. In fact, we definitely have imperfect families here. Each and every one of us, our family is imperfect in its own specific way. We're not alone in that. As we've seen this morning, the Lord's family was certainly imperfect. That wasn't Ward and June Cleaver. But the good news is, one day we'll have a perfect eternal family with God as our Father, with Jesus Christ as our older brother, with everyone in here as our brothers and sisters. And in fact, it's not just one day awaiting for us way off up yonder. It's here and it's now. In the meantime, until we're united permanently with our Heavenly Father, we need to do the best that we can to make our families and ourselves, however flawed, however imperfect we and they are, the best that we can possibly be to the glory of God. This morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whether you're a man or you're a woman or you're young or you're not quite so young as you used to be, the Lord extends his invitation to you. Don't leave here today without becoming part of that family. Put your trust in Jesus. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried in the waters of baptism. Have your sins washed away and be added to God's people. Be added to that wonderful family of God we talked about. Maybe you're here this morning and you've turned away from the instruction your fathers tried to instill in you for some reason. You need to make changes in your life. Whatever your need may be, if we can help you in any way, please come now while we stand and while we sing. For you and for me, see.